Jewish audio on Kaban.org. Rambam, Mishneh Torah, we begin a new section of law within the book of agricultural laws. And these are the Hilchais, the laws of Trumais, of the heave offering of grain, the produce offering given by the Jew to the Kohen, called Truma. And we touched upon this earlier in the introduction, that one of the first gifts which the farmer sets aside is the gift to the Kohen. Hilchis Truma is the laws of Truma is Yeshbech Lolan Shmeina Mitzvahs. In general, dating back to the Chumash, there are five commandments, Shtayim Mitzvahs Aseh, two biblical positive commandments, Veshesh Mitzvahs Leisaseh, and six negative commandments, Vizel Proton, and these are the details of these eight commandments, two positive and six negative. One, Lahaprish Truma Gedela, to set aside the large or the primary gift of Truma. Beis, Lahaprish, to set aside Trumas Maaser, the gift of Truma called Trumas Maaser, and as we will learn, the farmer gives approximately 2% to the Kohen, approximately 10% to the Levi, and the Levi gives 10% of his 10% to the Kohen. That 10% of the 10% of the Levi is called Trumas Maaser, the heave offering of the 10th of the 10th. Whereas the first Truma is called Truma Gedela, the primary or great Truma. Gimel, order is important, <coughs> that the order of truma, first, and maser, second, should be observed and not be reversed, it should be set aside, according to the correct order, Dalid. Truma is food given to the Kohen, taking on a sanctity as well, and non-Kohen. The word Zor means an alien. Alien from the setting we're talking about. In this case, the setting we're talking about is a Kohen. An alien, a non-Kohen, may not eat Truma. Even though, as we will learn, a slave or servant belonging to the Kohen may eat Truma because during the time that these practices were observed, he was the property of the Kohen, and therefore he could eat truma because he became part of the Kohen's family. But a hired hand, an employee of the Kohen, may never eat truma. Vav truma. Someone who is uncircumcised, an uncircumcised male, may never eat truma. Zayin kohen truma. A Kohen who is impure, who is defiled, may never eat truma. And ches truma, that a female Kohen who is not appropriate in her lineage because she's a chalola, she's the daughter of an inappropriate relationship which the Kohen had with a forbidden woman to him. So she may not eat truma, nor may she eat different portions of sacrifices set aside for the Kohen, and the explanation of these mitzvahs in these chapters. And I do want to point out that all of this is based on the Mishnah, 
There's an entire tractate within the Mishnah called Trumais, the laws of the heave offerings, which go from the farmer to the Kohen. So the Rambam organizes it in his beautiful way, and he says, Aleph 1, Ha Trumais, the heave offerings called Truma, the Hamaisrus and the tithes to the Levi, Einan Neagin Menatera, biblically, they are only observed, Elabaretz Yisrael, only in Israel. It's not something that is observed by Torah law anywhere out of Israel. Bein bifnei habayis, whether the Beis Hamikdash stands, bein shalei bifnei habayis, or the Beis Hamikdash doesn't stand, which means that even during the time the Beis Hamikdash stood, biblically truma is not observed outside of Israel. Even during the time the Beis Hamikdash does not stand, if all else comes together which we're going to learn about, then biblically, truma has to be observed in Israel. <coughs> that is from the biblical perspective. However, Unavim, the prophets, Hiskino ordained, that it should be observed, even in the land of Shinar. The land of Shinar is Babylon. Today's Iraq. That's called Shinar. There was a very large Jewish population in Shinar. Because Shinar, Babylon, was so close to Israel. And there was a lot of traffic back and forth from Israel to Babylon, from Babylon to Israel. So therefore, it was ordained by the sages that rabbinically... Truma be observed in Shinar as well. And then he adds that the earlier sages ordained that the practice of Trumas and Maestras should also be observed in the land of Egypt, close by to Israel. In the land of Ammon and Moab, parts of today's Jordan, because they are immediately surrounding, adjacent to Eretz Yisrael. So what we have here is, the primary commandment is in Israel proper. The prophets ordained that Babylon as well should observe through Mesomaisris. Our sages ordained that Egypt, Ammon, and Moab should also practice Trumais and Maisris. Now, the question is definitions. What is Israel? Eretz Yisrael, when we talk about in halacha, in these halachas, Eretz Yisrael, he, it refers to, Ba'arot says, the lands, Shekiv Shon Melech Yisrael, that a king of Israel conquered. That is what makes something Eretz Yisrael if it was conquered by a king of Israel. A, or, if not a king, a prophet. Novi, a prophet, Midas, Rev Yisrael, on behalf of the majority of the Jewish people. Zehu, this is the phrase used in Halacha, Hanikra, which is called Kibush Rabbim, a public conquest. As compared to a kibush yachid, an individual or private conquest. A conquest brought about by a king 
or a prophet on behalf of the Jewish people, that's called kibush rabim, a public conquest. Aval, however, yochid mi Yisrael, an individual Jew, a mishpacha or an individual family, a shevet or an individual tribe, shaholchu who went on their own, the kofshul and conquered for themselves, mokim a particular place. Even though technically on the map it was Israel at one time, even if it was part of the land given by God to Abraham, technically. This is not described as Israel, for the purpose of the observance of all the mitzvahs. And here, this is a section of law about mitzvahs. Do we observe truma? Or do we not? And therefore, it has to be a place which was conquered by a king or a prophet on behalf of the Jewish people. Excuse me one second. So he goes on to say that because of this principle in halacha, it is a direct outgrowth of this, Chilek Yeshua Bezdine, which can explain to us why Joshua and his court divided Kol Eretz Yisrael, the entire land of Israel, Lishvatim to the tribes, even though some of these lands divided to the tribes were not yet conquered. How do you divide something that was not yet conquered? Yeshua, being a Torah leader, did this in order to make this declaration of Kibush Rabbim, that it was conquered by a leader, a prophet, a king, Yeshua was the leader, on behalf of the Jewish people, so that later, when the individual warrior conquers it, it should not be considered an individual Peace conquered by an individual. Now he goes on to say, moving right along in history to the time of King David, Harot says the lands, Shekovash David, which King David conquered, Chutzli at its Canaan, outside of the land of Canaan proper. Kigain, for example, places like Aram Naharayim, Baaraim Tseva, Viachlov. And these regions are located, he says here in the note, in contemporary Syria. Who, even though there's no one who's more of a king of Israel than King David, the and he is operating on behalf of the high court. These conquered lands are on the one hand, they're not considered like Israel for all halachic purposes. They're not considered like the diaspora for all purposes. They're like a separate animal. Again, <coughs> for example, Bovel, Babylon, is clearly the diaspora. <coughs> clearly not Israel. Umitzrayim, Egypt, is clearly not Israel. But these lands are neither fish nor fowl. They are no longer outside of Israel, meaning diaspora, but 
but they're also not considered like Israel. Why do they not have the same level of sanctity of Israel, even though King David conquered them on behalf of the courts, on behalf of all the Jewish people? The technical issue here is, is that King David conquered these lands in contemporary Syria before he conquered every piece of Israel. There are still some unconquered pieces of the seven nations which were not conquered at that time. So therefore, it didn't have the freedom to carry over to other areas. Had he conquered all of Israel by its boundaries, and then he would have conquered other lands, then these lands would be considered like Israel. Now he says, halachically, you should know that the lands that King David conquered, these are referred to repeatedly in halacha as Syria. So halachically, when we talk about Syria or Syria, what are we talking about? The lands north of Israel in what is today's contemporary geographical location of Syria. So this has the halachic status called Surya repeated hundreds of times in halacha. Now what is this Surya? Dalit, Surya, this geographical area known as Syria. Yes, dvarim shehi bohen Halachically, there are certain aspects which are equal to Israel. There are certain aspects of Surya that are like the diaspora. So therefore, our purpose here in these halachas is truma. If somebody purchases land in Surya, it's as if he purchases land in Israel. For the purpose of the Tehib offering to the Kohen, Truma, Maisa, the Levi's offering, Shvius, the sabbatical year. However, and here's the big however, the Hakel Besuria, everything halachically in places under the banner of Surya, Midivre Seifrim, are all rabbinic. They're only rabbinic law. And there's a big difference between rabbinic law and Torah law. Hey, he goes on to say, let's roll back the historical calendar. The Jewish people left Egypt. They wandered in the desert and then they went into Israel and they liberated or conquered the lands of Canaan. And this was the first Settlement of the Jewish people in the land of Israel. So when these people ascended, and the first sanctity took hold in Israel, this is an important halachic principle which is discussed and debated again and again, that the first aliyah made by the Jewish people from Egypt into Israel was something that as long as they were there, 
they were there. But once they were exiled, they're no longer there. And the sanctity is gone. Again, we're talking halachic phraseology. The first sanctity proclaimed by those who ascended from Egypt. Because it was only a matter of conquering in war. The sanctity took hold for as long as they were there. But it didn't take hold for when they were not there. So the problem is that after the exile of the Jewish people, whether you're talking about the exile of the ten tribes, or later the exile of the two tribes, the destruction of the first base Amigdash, when the Jewish people as a whole left Israel, the sanctity, halacha-wise, for the Trumos and Maestris purposes, also was removed. Now we move on in history. When the people of the exile ascended, meaning Ezra coming back, and they took hold and conquered parts of the land. This is what we refer to as the second commonwealth. This second sanctity was not only a conquering, but it was also a sanctity. And therefore, this sanctity became an eternal sanctity. Because it was done differently. Taking hold for its time, and for future time. They left those places where those who ascended up from Egypt to begin with were there. But the second Aliyah through Ezra did not take those places. And they didn't totally exempt them from Trumo Maisra. In order that the poor should be able to benefit from these lands in the sabbatical year. He released places like Beishan, from those places, where those who ascended from Babylon did not take possession. It goes back to the old. And he said that places like Beishan should be counted al Ashkelon together with Ashkelon or Petra in Amaisis, and he said it should be exempted from the tithe. So now the Rambam summarizes and says involved Nimsa. So what we have here is the following: Kol Ha'elam, the entire world, Le'inyan Mitzvus Hatluyas It's for the purpose of commandments upon which you need Israel. Nechlekes is divided l'sholish machlokes to three categories. You have Eretz Yisrael, Israel proper, that's category one. Visuria, and then you have the geographical location north of Israel called Syria, conquered by King David. And then you have Chutz Loretz, the diaspora outside of Israel. So you have Israel, not Israel, and Syria. The Eretz Yisrael, Israel itself, is subdivided into two categories. 
כאל שהחזיקו אלה בובל חלק אחד, these places which were taken hold by the Aliyah of Babylon is one place, very firmly connected. But those not taken by the Aliyah of Babylon, only by the Aliyah of Egypt, is a second category. Speaking of outside of Israel, what we call the diaspora, is also divided into two. You have parts of the diaspora very close to Israel, like Egypt, Babylon, Ammon and Moab, Jordan, where you have the land-related commandments are observed by the words of our scribes and prophets. Then you have the balance of the diaspora, where you do not have the practice of Trumas and Maestras. Now he gets a little bit geographical. Zayin, he edits. What are the lands where those who ascended from Egypt settled and established ownership? From Rechem, Shehuba Mizrach, Eretz Yisrael, which is east. In the east side of Eretz Yisrael, Adayam Agodel until the Mediterranean so until the Mediterranean Sea, may Ashkelon from Ashkelon she ledreim Eretz Yisrael, which is south in southern Israel, Ad Akko she betzofen until Akko, which is in the north. Hayemahalech me Akko lirziv. If somebody proceeds from Akko to Chziv, call on a child. You mean everything on his right, Shum Mizrach Aderech, which is the east. Can be assumed to be the diaspora. It has the laws of defilement of impurity, as do the lands of the nations. is exempt from tithing in the sabbatical year laws. Until you become certain that the land Israel is Israel. In other words, it's not until it is. But everything on his left. Which is the West, is until it's not. Has the laws of purity, because it's not the land of the nations, and it's obligated with the laws of tithing in the sabbatical year. Until you can ascertain that it is outside of Israel. Here you should have like a little. Diagram anything that slopes and descends from Turei Amonum and in Eretz Yisrael. Turei Amonum from Turei Amonum and outside Chutz Loretz. Vanisim and the islands, Vanisim Shabayam and the islands in the sea. You stretch an imaginary line from Turi Amonim until the brook of Egypt. Inside the line, Eretz Yisrael. Outside the line, And here is a diagram actually made by the Rambam himself, where A is these Samnu mountains, and then you show the other locations. And again, this is the Rambam's map, which he created. So it appears that the entire coastal range of Eretz Yisrael was not settled by the Jews who ascended from Babylon. 
Ches From what point in time did the Jews who ascended from Babylon settle from Gzivan in towards the east? From Gzivan outside towards itself they didn't take. Now he goes to Syria. Ezehu he Syria. What is halachically? Considered the region of Syria. The Eretz Yisrael Lamata Aram Narayim Aram As you move away from Israel proper, now the word here is Lamata, meaning down, but Syria is up, it's not down. So he means away towards Aram Narayim and Aram Tseva, Kol Yad Pras, or he means the fact that Israel is always considered up, and away from Israel is considered down. All the area of the Euphrates out Babylon to Babylon could go in Damascus, like Damascus, Viachlo, Bechoron, or Magepis, who creates a machine. That's Syria. But Akko is Chutzlaris, is outside of Israel. These are the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael. And here we have two maps a map of the first conquest, a map of the second conquest, and you can see here. Around the area of Syria, where you have the first conquest, and then you have the second conquest is different, and so on and so forth. Ten. Moving right along into the halachas of Truma and Meiser. A non-Jew. Remember, Jews have the mitzvahs of Trumas and Meisers. Non-Jews don't have the mitzvahs of Trumas and Meisers. A non-Jew Shekona who purchased Karka land, Beretz Yisrael in Israel, he doesn't remove that geographical land from the rule of mitzvahs. It maintains its sanctity. And the fact that a non-Jew purchased it doesn't remove the sanctity from the land. And therefore, as long as a non-Jew has it, he has no mitzvahs. But in Chazar Yisrael, the Kachamimenu, if a Jew goes and buys it back, you can't argue and say, okay, that's an individual conquering. Ella, it's a return of what was. Mafrish Trumasomais is the Jew who purchases it back from the non Jew, must set aside the Trumais to the Kohen, or Maisis to the Levi, or maybe Bikurimi brings the first fruits, which we will talk about. And it's all biblically obligated. How could you say that? It was owned by a non-Jew. It reverts back to Jewish ownership as if it was never sold to the non-Jew. That is in Israel proper. However, in places called Surya the non-Jew has a stronger power because that is not naturally part of Eretz Yisrael, as we will learn. Yud Aleph 11, Peidei Saib de Kechavim, Shagodl Bekarka Shekona Eretz Yisrael, produce of the non-Jew, which grew on land which he purchased in Israel. If the produce matured while it wasn't the possession of the Gentile, and the Gentile straightened the edges of the grain heap. 
Turim Miklum, then they are exempt from everything because it belongs to the Gentile. Shanem, as it says, Digon Cha, your produce, Velay Digon Evde Kechavim, and not Evid Kechavim, not the produce of a Gentile. So therefore, if it matured <coughs> in the hands of the Gentile, it is exempt. However, if a Jew purchases the produce after it was harvested, but before all the other tasks associated with harvest were completed, then the Jew completed many of these tasks. So the Jew now brought them to full maturity. Then he's obligated in all these mitzvahs, biblically. He must set aside Truma Gedele, the first Truma. Give it to the Tayin, Truma Smeiser, and the second Truma. What's the second Truma? 10% of the 10%. That has to go to the Kayin. And here, because it has a weaker halachic position, he can sell it to the Kohen, make the Kohen pay for it, but still, he's not allowed to have it in his position. But he can keep the first tithe. Because he can say to the Levi, in the Meiser, and to the Kohen, I'm coming from the non Jew, someone you can't take any tithings from. Why shouldn't he give the Trumas Meisers to the Kohen like Truma Gedela? Why does he only have to give him an offer to buy it? Because it says with regard to the 10% of the 10%, when you will purchase from the Jewish people the Meiser. Tevel, non trumud grains, that's the word Tevel, means food from which Truma was not taken, which you purchased from a Jew. You must set aside the 10% of the 10% and give it to the coin. But if this produce was bought from a non-Jew, you don't have to give the coin the 10% of the 10%, but still it may be holy. You have to sell it to the coin, at least to get it out of your possession, but you can get the money for it. And here I want to point out that when it comes to Truma, as we will learn in very great detail, if somebody violates the law of Truma, there's a death penalty associated from heaven. It's a very serious transgression. Therefore, Truma has to be taken very seriously. Truma's master, the 10% of the 10%, which the Levi has to give the Kohen, is the same sanctity as Truma. The 10% to the Levi that has no sanctity. It's a business obligation which the Torah obligates to give you to the Levi, to, obligates you to give it to the Levi, but it's not holy food. And therefore, when it comes to the Levi, we can say the Levi, prove it's yours. But when it comes to the Kohen food, it's absolutely sacred and we have to be very careful with it. As we will learn. If the non-Jew sold the produce to the Jew as it was still connected to the ground, if it did not yet reach the period of time 
when the Meiser obligation kicks in, which we'll learn about in great detail in the laws of Meisers. Venigman will be Ad Yisrael, and was completed in the hands of the Jew. Chayav and Bakel, then everything is obligated. Venes, not Trumas. He has to give the Trumas from Meisers Labolem and the Meiser to the owner. Vimachor and Achashabolainus on Meisers, but if he sold it after it came to that period, Mapresh Trumas Meiser or Meiser, he has to set aside the Truma of the Meiser and the Meiser, Venesimam Labolem, Lepiach Hashem, and he gives it to the owners according to the calculation. Ketzah. If he took planted produce from the non-Jew after it matured a third, and then it became completed beyond Yisrael in the ownership of the Jew, he sets aside Truma and Meiser. As we explained, he gives two-thirds of the Meiser to the Levi, because already a third had matured in the hands of the non-Jew. The other third he can sell to him. If a Jew sold his produce to the non-Jew before it came to the time of tithing, and the non-Jew completed it, they are exempt from both Truma and Meiser. If after that period it happened, even though they were completed by the non-Jew, he's obligated by rabbinic law to set aside all of these things, so also the non-Jew completed the produce for the Jew, it's only a rabbinic obligation because they matured in the hands of the non-Jew. Now moving right along in different scenarios, what if a non-Jew sold Produce attached to the ground after it came to the period where Meiser kicks in. And he did whatever he had to do by the granary. With the permission of the Jew, straightening the edges of the grain heap. He's not obligated. With Truma Meisers, Hel Balenus Amaisers, Meshusay Vikhab, because it matured into that stage of Meiser in the ownership of the non Jew, or Merchon Evichab, and he straightened the grain heap. Apapisha Meshus Yisrael, even though it happened in the ownership of the Jew. Tesva Vakaina Sada Besuria. What if somebody purchases a field in the geographical location we identified as Surya? Chaya Betrumas Amaisers, Midivrahim is obligated to bring Truma and Meiser by rabbinic law. Exactly as someone would be obligated by Torah law if he purchased it in Yerushalayim. By rabbinic law, Syria has the same law as Yerushalayim by Torah law. But if somebody purchases produce in Syria from a non Jew, whether Disattached or still attached, after the Kedem Shabbalinus Amaisis, even before it came to that stage of tithing, even though the Jew straightened up the corners of the grain heap, being that it's not his land, but that it's exempt. So here we have a more liberal interpretation of the law because it's Syria. What if the Jew purchased land from the non-Jew in Syria and it had produce attached to it? If it reached the stage of tithing in the hands of the non-Jew, it's exempt. But if it didn't, being that he purchased it with the land, he's obligated to tithe. 
Now we come into the laws of sharecropping. Sharecropping means that somebody agrees to do the work for a share of the crop. If the Jew was a sharecropper to the non-Jew in Surya. So the non-Jew is the owner, and the Jew becomes the sharecropper. His produce are exempt from tithing. Why? Because all he is is a sharecropper. Because he has no ownership in the land. He just gets a share of his work. And the owner is a non-Jew. And we learned earlier that the non-Jew could remove produce from the status of Miser in Syria. A similar status to a sharecropper is called a chaker, a makabal, or somebody who accepts. These are various forms of sharecropping. Potter mina trumo mina maises is also exempt from trumo and maises. Yudches Yisrael shalakach basuria. Sodom and Ebed kechab machalivi eshlish. A Jew who purchased a field from a non-Jew before it matured a third. And then he sold it back to, the, to a non-Jew after it matured a third. What if the Jew bought it a second time? Because by, by that point, it was in the hands of the Jew. If a Jew owned land in Syria and hired a sharecropper, and the sharecropper sends him fruits, produce. The question is, is this produce obligated with trumas or maises? He says, we can say it's not. It's exempt. Because I can argue that even though the sharecropper owed the Jew a share of the crop, maybe he went and bought it in Costco. He held on to his crop and took something similar. Assuming that you can purchase that type of produce on the open market. You don't have to assume that this, these were the produce owned by the Jew in Syria. A partnership of the non-Jew, is obligated because the Jew is a partner. How does it work? A Jew and a non-Jew who bought a field in partnership, even if they divided it with standing grain, surely if they divided it in the granary, now we have a problem that Tebel, Tebel is produce from which Truma was not taken because the Jew owns it. Chulin means everyday produce which Truma does not have to be taken because it belongs to the non-Jew. Even though he straightened out the edges, and it has a rabbinical obligation. Commission When does this apply? That it's just all in Israel. where tithing is biblical. And by Torah law, we don't talk about the principle of breda. There's an interesting principle we've talked about earlier, breda, which means that whatever the end of the division is in any type of division, that reveals that that is the way it always was. So whatever ends up belonging to the Jew, belong to the Jew. Belong to the non-Jew, belong to the non-Jew. <coughs> That's the idea of Breda. But if he purchased a field in Surya, which has rabbinic application, being that the whole tithing and Truma law is rabbinic, even if they divided the granary, the part of the non-Jew is totally exempt. 
Chav Beis, 22 Pedas, Eretz Yisrael, Shiot, so the Chutz Lorets. Fruits, produce from Israel that went out of Israel. Peturim are exempt. Mina Chala from Chala. We're soon going to learn about Chala. Which I will bring you. There, in Israel, you're obligated. But when the produce leaves Israel, you're exempt. But if the produce left Israel, but only went to Syria, then it's rabbinically obligated. So also, produce from outside of Israel that entered into Israel, are obligated. There, you're obligated in Israel, whether the fruits or the produce originated in Israel or originated in the diaspora. They're here now. But if they were set aside, if they were established as Meiser in the hands of an Israelite, after they entered into the land, they're obligated by rabbinic law to have Meiser taken from them. Chav Gimel, here's an interesting law, Afar Chutz Loretz, soil, earth, from outside of Israel, Shabab Esvina, which arrived by boat, Loretz to Israel. You have soil. Bisman Shash, and then stuff is growing in the soil. Bisman Shash, Sfina Geshesha Loretz, if the ship's bottom is, is in contact with the earth, so the ship being that it's made out of wood, the soil in the ship producing produce, because the ship is made out of wood and it's sitting on the earth, is considered connected. Anything that grows in it, Chayev is obligated with Trumas or Maisris, with the laws of Truma, the laws of tithing, the laws of the sabbatical year. As if it would grow in Israel itself. What if there's a tree? The tree is in the diaspora, outside of Israel, but its leaves hang over in Israel. Or it's standing in Israel, or its leaves are hanging in the diaspora. It all follows the roots. What if part of the roots were in Israel, part of the roots were out of Israel? Even if it was separated by a glistening stone, you have every ounce is tebel and chulun, and you have a problem. Chaf hey twenty five otzasnakim, a pot that has a hole in it, which has seed, but it didn't take root. And its roots are in Israel, but its leaves are outside of Israel. But it, again, it didn't take root in the ground. You follow the leaves. And now, in this closing paragraph, we have a very important law, which expresses the Rambam's opinion here. Nowadays, the law of Truma, even in the place where the Aliyah of Babylon took hold, even in the days of Ezra, which we said earlier is the best scenario. Says the Rambam here, this is not a biblical application of Truma. It's only rabbinic. And this is a new revelation. That nowadays the whole Truma is not biblical. 
Because first of all, there is never biblical truma except in Israel, and even in Israel, when all Jews are living in Israel, which already in Ezra's time didn't apply. As it says, when you will come, all of you, as it was in the first inheritance, when the Jewish people came out of Egypt, all the Jews were in Israel. As will be in the third and final inheritance when Mashiach comes, like not as it was in the second inheritance. Only a small part of the Jewish people came. Therefore, the whole experience is a rabbinic experience. It's not a biblical experience. And so it appears to me, says the Rambam, that this is not only a truma law, but this is also a meiser law, that the whole meiser obligation nowadays in Israel is only rabbinic, just as truma, because the vast majority of the Jewish people, all the Jewish people are not in Israel, end of chapter 1.